Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and I believe this is episode 9 or 10 or something along those lines. But most importantly, the Pop Health Show, uh, to recap, is for anyone that's trying to make more than one person healthy in this world. We uncover tools, processes, uh, fringe health topics from experts that have been doing uh, population health for a while. It could be anywhere from you know, a yoga teacher, which we had Annie on the show from episode two, all the way from, you know, IBM Watson that we had on the show talking about how systems can be leveraged for improving the health of populations. But most importantly, I'm very excited to have from Aon Hewitt, uh, Aparna Narula on the show. And uh, Aparna has an interesting, vast background. Um, but before I go too deep, Let's let Aparna uh, uh, introduce herself. Aparna, welcome to the show, and uh, maybe you can give a, an intro. Sure. Thank you, Anthony. R pleasure to be on the show. Um, well, my background, actually, I have a master's in health service administration. I'm also, you know, when I lean on health, it's more on the business side. So I also have a Six Sigma and project manager certification. Um, I, I started off my career really on the, on the hospital provider side. But I quickly moved over to HR benefits around the employer side. And so I spent some time with data warehousing and analytics, which really drove me towards population health, working at United Health Group on developing a diabetes prevention and control program. And then here at Aon, really helping employers across different industries uh, strategize on their well-being population health programs. Nice, nice. Well, uh, Aparna, yeah, that's 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 great. Um, you know, you bring those different perspectives of Six Sigma analytics, um, you know, to the field. Um, what are um, you, you know? You've seen so much from United to uh, Aon and where you're at right now. Um, what are some trends that you're starting to see emerge that have you really excited uh, in in population health? Well, back you know over 20 years ago, the World Health Organization came up with four spheres of influence to really drive behavior change. Because if we really think about it, population health is all about creating those good, healthy habits. And they came up with four spheres of influence. They came up that really drive behavior change: the environment, the culture, community, and individual health resources. And what I'm really excited about. Um, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, a lot of employers were really just focused on providing individual tools. But now the shift is really moving towards what really makes the biggest impact, which is the environment and as well as the culture. So really excited to see um, us all thinking about the environment and the culture and, and the social aspects of, of being well. And also looking at technology to really leverage behavioral health changes. Nice, nice. Um, maybe we can go a little bit deeper there. So, you know, you have a lot of different vast cultures out there from, you know, blue collar workforces or, you know, we, we probably have some listeners that are HR managers uh, from, you know, tech, big tech firms all the way to maybe a manufacturing firm. And, you know, um, with that contrast, you probably have so many different societal or, or I should say environmental and cultural aspects. Um, how, what's an example or two? of ways that, you know, HR managers and, and maybe their brokers, uh, their benefit brokers or benefit consultants, I should say, um, are adapting and, and, you know, helping with these factors. Because some of these factors you can't really control, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit. 
Sure. You know, part of the culture is leadership support, right? So if we have the CEO, top leadership, and all the way down across mid-level managers, really supporting well-being as part of the culture, that's really what's going to drive behavior change. I had a client, a tech client, who came to me once, and they had, you know, they're, they're asking me, what, why, how do I get more people engaged? You know, we've, we're doing all the right things. We have screenings, health assessments. We even have treadmill desks. Why aren't people participating more? And I asked, well, what's the priority? What, what is the communication that's coming out among employees? You know, can I take a guess? Is, is it just working long hours? Is that what's being rewarded? And, and they sort of shook their heads and agreed. So, you know, a lot of times managers need to be reminded that, you know, happier employees, healthier employees are more productive. So taking that break to use the treadmill desk or taking that break to go for a walk really will result in more productivity. Nice, nice. No, that's that's great. That's great to to hear that 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 perspective. Um, when when um, you know, you probably have a lot of different um, clients that may or may not be culturally ready. And I know sometimes, you know, when someone's in HR, I know you know a long time ago I used to do HR uh, consulting. What um, what you find sometimes is maybe there's a risk averseness to jumping into you know different types of wellness programs, and sometimes a reluctancy because the HR leader may not be sure on the ROI. How do you handle that, you know, that topic when it comes up, you know, Aparna, you know, before we do this program, what's the ROI, you know, on the program? Um, leadership support. Okay, we'll get it. We'll get leadership support. We'll do this. But um, can you speak a little bit to some, some, you know, you know, when you, when you hear the ROI discussion, how do you, how do you handle that? Sure, sure. And, you know, we try to, it, culture does not happen overnight. And mm-hmm. we try to do educate our clients around, you know, it's not really a financial ROI that you're focused on. If you're if you're coming out with a program just focused on ROI, I can tell you right now, you're not going to gain the ROI because employees see that they see that this program is really just m- meant for um, the bottom line, and they're just they're just not going to participate. So mm-hmm. if they're really engaged in the value of what the program can provide and really being sincere with the employees, um, I think p- employees will be and their families will be more receptive to the programming. And, you know, it does take a while to educate the program owners, leadership. So we start with small steps, you know, just getting some health assessment data, some screenings, and then just putting some exciting stuff into programs. We find that the, for example, challenges, just walking challenges, which have been around for a few years now, have been such a great pull for employees. Uh, you know, we'll have companies that have had a, quite a bit of um accessories for them to uh, engage in coaching um, and and, an on-site gym. But it's not until the challenges actually come out and then they're asking, well, what else do we have? What else do we have? So they get really excited when they when they roll out a challenge as as part of year one strategy and mm-hmm. you know gets people talking together, forming teams, supporting one another, and then they'll start tapping into other resources as well. And then the leadership will start to see that this is really sticking and we're really seeing, you know, some short term gains around productivity and, mm-hmm. and um, better better quality of work. So it seems like the challenge is a is a you know seems to be a good catalyzer. Uh, for getting people's awareness, and then you know, obviously, it's 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 got gamification in it, right? And so it kind of gets things uh, you know moving. Um, you know, for some of our listeners out that are you know HR managers that haven't done you know a challenge to kick things off, what are kind of like two or three tips that you know you suggest? You know, sometimes um, you know I know questions come up like you know what's the length of the challenge? You know, 
Do you do, you know, manual recording or do you allow any device, you know, to integrate with the system or anything like that? Any tips or thoughts around, you know, how to, you know, do's and don'ts on a challenge? Sure. Uh, you know, I think six, six to eight weeks is long enough. Uh, it really depends on your employees. We've seen some clients who've seen that that would be too long. So even four weeks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, self-reporting data is fine, but the validation, if you're tied to incentives might be necessary. What we found really impactful is adding a competitive spirit to it. Uh, we had a global client who really wanted to unify the company internationally. And they used the challenge, a walking challenge, not only for a well-being perspective, but just from a retention and employee engagement perspective. And when we sat down and, you know, we thought about, it took us about a month to even just come up with a challenge name because, you know, translating it, how will employees view it when they first see it for registration? And then we added a component of competition um, where different departments and different regions were competing with one another. And it was a very healthy competition. And, and surprisingly, with the incentive that we used was actually towards charity. So when we when we look at incentives, we're always trying to think of, you know, what's what's in it for the employee? What, what how much mo- how much money or how many gift cards can we give them? But I, I was actually really surprised with the with the generous spirit that this population and I'm sure most human beings have when when they're doing when they're gaining, acting on something to help others. So we got over 60% participation and it really, it was towards uh, a charity. It was nothing in it for them. Wow. No, that's, that's powerful. So um, I like the charitable, you know, component. Um, It's interesting, you know, we just came out of the holidays and, you know, you go to the mall and you see the Tom shoes and there's that infamous one for one model. And it makes people feel so good that, you know, you buy a pair of shoes and then they give a, you know, another pair. Um, but the, it, it seems like, or is that a big trend you're seeing now? Is that, um, you know, when you can tr- tie it to charity, is it, is it this component of the person feels like they're doing something so much beyond their self, beyond themselves for, and, and are you seeing like these, you know, I guess they call them like CSR departments or corporate social responsibility departments are, are those departments even getting involved as well? Um, well, that's, that's a great question. So unfortunately, when we talk about incentives, uh, a lot of it is still around, you know, healthcare premium reductions, gift cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're seeing when it comes to connecting with social committees, we're finding mm-hmm. a lot more excitement. So we'll definitely nice. work with our clients to say, do you have anything going on right now in terms of social committees, even workers comp, safety? The more you can tap in and integrate with other existing successful programs, the better. Very nice. Very nice. And, um, you know, you probably get a lot of questions on like Aparna. What's, what's more, what do you see more motivating? Is it gift cards or the, like the premium reduction? I mean, if between those two mediums, are you seeing you know, one or the other, you know, being more receptive for, for employees? So it really depends on the culture. If we were to do a survey, we'll definitely see, you know, cash is king, um, healthcare premium reductions. But when we look at it at a granular level, it really depends on the organization's, you know, employee population base. So if you're giving a, a healthcare premium reductions to a population that makes over six figures, that's not really going to mean much to them. Mm-hmm. So we really have to think about what it, what, what will really um, get them going and ticking. Um, but, you know, there's, when we talk about gamification, as you mentioned, surprisingly, there are other ways to motivate others. And what we call stuff is, is at the bottom of the list. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we ways to motivate our status, you know, we think when we look at the airline industry, I mean, I, I know that I always stick to one airline because they're going to give me status and privileges once I hit a certain point and mm-hmm. access to, to the lounge. That's also, you know, access to maybe perhaps having lunch with the CEO if you gain a certain amount, number of points towards your well-being program. So there, there are other ways other than quote unquote stuff to really motivate others to um, engage in well-being and behavior change. No, this is, this is great. This is great. Um, Aparna, when we, when you're talking about challenges, uh, you know, we're obviously we're getting a hot out of the holiday season. A lot of people got Apple watches and Fitbits for, for gifts. Are you starting to see some trends there where, you know, it seemed like it must've been like 20 months ago, there was like a, a, a different brand connected device for like everything. Is it more consolidating now where you're starting to see employers like gravitate towards one one device or is it is it more like a bring your own device to work type uh, environment now? So I'm seeing I'm seeing a little bit of both, but I think it's moving towards bring your own device. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we're really promoting the use of apps and it's really personal preference. A best practice well-being program has different types of modalities. So whether it be phone, email, apps, in person. So because it's not a one size fits all, um, but what we have to be really careful with the devices and, and, at, uh, and technology in general, you know, there's a study that came out where um, they looked at two separate groups, one, uh, you know, who had both lost the same amount of weight. And after a three month period, they provided one group with devices to, to see if they could maintain their weight and another group without devices to see, you know, who, which group will, will maintain their weight better. And mm-hmm. ironically, those with the, with the devices actually ended up gaining weight. And, you know, that we can, we can kind of come up with a hypothesis to say maybe they felt like they were, were, they were exercising more, so then they ended up eating more. Um, but, you know, or those who didn't have a device were, were just self-motivated. So we just, I think it's just personal preference, and we all have to do a, a, a self-check to see, is this device really working for me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's that's great. That's great. appreciate that insight, um, uh, Aparna. What other themes in in pop health, uh, you know, are, are you starting to look at more? I mean, so I know we were just talking about the um, environmental and cultural aspects of you know these these shifts are allowing a, gr- a great opportunity. Any other themes or theses that you know excite you these days? Um, you know, when it when it comes to pop health. Sure. I mean, there are a couple of things, right? You know, we've done a good job at focusing on nutrition and and physical activity. And then we expanded the definition of well-being to also include social, financial, emotional. I would love to see a lot more emphasis on mental health. There are a lot more studies right now that are really pointing to happier, um, well-stabilized employees being more productive and really affecting the bottom line. And so, you know, looking at programs that support mindfulness and stress, you know, they're out there, but I'd love to see more employees engage in that. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if that would be the first thing that they tackle, I think Mm -hmm. they'd see a lot of um, promise from that. And also we're looking at, when we look at physical activity and nutrition, we've done a really good job at keeping, you know, the low risk low, but we really need to start looking at obesity and how that's impacting not just the employees and their families, but all different areas of an organization, um, you know, including workers' comp and safety. It's uh, really affect and disability. So it's really affecting 
a lot of different financial components of, of, an, of an employer. So when we look at weight, obesity and looking at weight management programs and just reducing one BMI point at a time among a population would really have a big impact on, mm-hmm. on non-financial and financial results. Um, no, this is this is interesting. So yeah, it does seem like resiliency as a topic in wellness is picking up a lot of steam. Um, it, it feels like when you go on media now, there's just so many um, articles about mindfulness and meditation. Um, why is that? Why do you think, Aparna? Like, why do you think suddenly meditation and resilience training and, and the mental aspect is is getting so much attention now? And are, are you seeing? programs that can get implemented at mass scale that, that are, you know, can make a difference in, in these areas. Yeah, I think, I think it's the world we live in right now. We live in a culture of working around the clock. You know, we have our devices to check email at odd times. So we're really stretching ourselves and it really does have an impact on our mental health. You know, if we don't, if we don't address stress and resiliency, it can lead to, you know, worse conditions such as depression and anxiety um, so we need to make sure that we're prioritizing our health and not work, prioritizing our family's well-being as well. So, um, so, so that's why it's important that we, we take a look at that. You know, when I'm working with clients and I notice that there's quite a bit of stress in their population, they are always conflicted with, well, they're going to have stress because they have to produce a lot. But there are ways to communicate and have a very soft culture of not putting so much pressure, just putting putting some you know tactical ideas of having an open door policy, um, you know that can address stress. Or you know we talk about yoga, but there are different ideas of how we can really um, address stress and make the the job easier. There are quite a bit of companies out there that are adding stress and mindfulness um, as a solution. Uh, you know, there's there there are those webinars that you can join voluntarily, but there are some companies that are targeting or even asking for volunteers to join an eight week program where mm. they're where they're sitting in for a one hour session online and just gaining some tips and, and giving them ideas on what they can practice on. And the eight weeks will really set habits for them. But it's important that that program also addresses the organizational behavior change, not just individuals. So coming, working with HR and seeing and checking to see what, what do we need to change organizationally? Do we need to use a different tone, different language um, mm-hmm. to really help address the stress in their work site? Mm, no, that's great. And I, I think that merges kind of the, the concepts we were talking about earlier about the cultural dimension of things. And uh, that sounds like that could be powerful, especially, you know, you personalize you know, an eight week, um, program like that, considering the culture, um, and, and, you know, having that mindfulness, mindfulness aspect of it. Um, no, that's, that's great. Um, one thing you mentioned a little while ago was, you know, the power of just, you know, improving the, the BMI, um, you know, just moving that average, just one point. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned, you know, your work at United and and the diabetes program and, and, What's your perspective on, you know, how do you move the needle on something like BMI or obesity and getting a, a, what's one or two things that you've seen successfully kind of work for, for helping a a group, you know, uh, you know, reduce their, their, their BMI? Sure. A lot of, a lot of what we're talking about is around education and awareness. Um, So really addressing what, what are some tips that they can, they can do and just being aware of the impact of what, 
a BMI can do on their health. Mm-hmm. We've come up with a lot of variety of ideas for for obesity. Um, it, it's we're we're finding that it's like smoking. How we address the smoking um, risk, where it's not just uh, on the onus of the individual. We really need to partner with the community, with the employer, with the providers to really help move the needle. But if you're alone, you know, a, a, an individual, it's it's about you know cooking healthy. That might be a really good tip. Planning your meals ahead of time so that you're not leaning on fast food. Taking it a day at a time. Coming up with some uh, physical activity that you enjoy. So I know a lot of folks will just kind of hire a trainer, and the trainer will push them hard, and then they'll give up and not go work out. But just you know, one week start at ten weeks, ten minutes a day, twenty minutes a day. But it's those micro habits that really make a difference. Interesting, interesting. Um, you know, some a question that I ask some of our guests from time to time is is uh, you know, obviously we're you know in the field of health. Um, you know, what are what's something kind of you do the first sixty minutes of your day, like your ritual that you feel really good about that that health ritual. Um, some, some previous answers have been things like, you know, what they eat for breakfast and, you know, I wake up, I go for a run immediately and then I eat breakfast. But what is your first 60 minutes, um, you know, the day look like? I love that question. Cause there are so many articles out there that really talk about the first 60 minutes and how it really will define the rest of your day and even the week. So I, I, you know, I have two young boys, so I, you know, first get them settled, drop them off at school. And I'm really lucky to say that I have a gym right next to their school. So right after I drop them off, I'm already in my gym clothes. I've, I've seen them, you know, leave for school. They're going to be working hard that day. So it motivates me to go to the gym. So I work out for about an hour. Um, I really look forward to it. I actually, um, you know, use elliptical on the bike. And when I do, I'm watching my favorite show. So that keeps me going. Um, and, and I, and I find that if I don't work out, it just, it kind of offsets my day. Um, so it really helps with my stress, my resiliency as well. So the workouts really do help. And then I get back and I'm not rushing to get back. Um, you know, I make sure that my meetings are scheduled at a a decent, uh, start time so that I'm not, I'm not inclined to skip my workout. So I'll start my Mm -hmm. day at nine. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. We, we, we get the, a similar answer a lot. You know, it's kind of like the tone is, you know, starting the day off calm, you focus on the most important things, but you know, you're, you're also getting the workout out of the way, but it's also a a release and escape. And, uh, I like the balance though, and the analogy as well. You know, I, you know, I drop my, my child off in the morning and, uh, you know, when I can go for a run afterwards or work out afterwards or do some kettlebell swings or whatever, um, you know, I, you know, I feel so much better because then you kind of, you know, just got it out of the way. But, um, no, that's great. That's great to hear. I always like the, you know, to hear the perspective of, of others and how they start their day. Um, a part of, um, you know, we, uh, we try and keep these uh, calls, you know, kind of uh, short, punchy, kind of r- roughly around 20, 30 minutes. Um, but I, I think before, as we're kind of ending off this episode, um, one question I love to ask is, um, you know, what is something that you believe for that other people feel is insane or, you know, said another way, what is something you believe that has not yet been, been proven yet? And obviously that, that doesn't have to be limited to health, but just, uh, just curious. Um, I think it goes back to culture. I think that what I would like to see is when we, as an American culture ask, how are you? You know, normally we just say, I'm good. I, you know, I'd love, I'd love our culture to, you know, not, not 
expanding on that right away at that time, but I'd love to see a culture where people feel comfortable with one another to really ask, how are you really doing? Is there anything I can do for your well-being? Um, I was having a really bad day one day and a senior leader had asked me, how are you? And I just kind of abruptly, you know, quickly as a habit said, I'm good. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, no, really, how are you? And, and just to know that he really cared and that mm-hmm. he noticed me. Um, and, you know, when I and then when we start to hear stories like, you know, I'm, they start opening up more and they say, I, I'm really challenged with losing weight. And, and, and that's how we can kind of form uh uh, the social aspect of well-being. Well, let's let's go for a run together. Let's cook together. So, you know, we're not in this alone, and that's why they really call it population health management because we're doing this together. Hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. I love it. And you know, I think you. I'm starting to re- realize that as well. You know, you mentioned we talked a little bit about meditation and resiliency. And what I'm starting to find out, you know, because I, I meditate every day. I'm a big fan of the Calm app, and uh, I just can't wait for the uh, the new sessions every day. It's uh, I think her name's Tamara Levitt. She posts the Calm of the day, and it's a theme of the day. Um, and I think one of them was talking about you know being vulnerable and being true and and kind of expressing yourself. And uh, it just it's it yeah it's interesting. Aparna, you know, you have. Uh, sometimes that people will ask you how you're doing and it's human nature to kind of guard ourselves and say that everything's good and fine and being vulnerable is not, is not a good thing, but it, it's starting to, I'm starting to see a shift, especially in like high performance individuals that it's like, you know, vulnerable is the new strong or weak is the new strong. And, you know, that's getting these things out is uh, a way of kind of improving and reflecting and making adjustments every day. Um, my, um, hopefully I'm not over elaborating, but, um, but yeah, no, this is, it's a, it's a very interesting, you know, perspective of truly authentically, you know, caring about how their people are doing and uh, just building a deeper relationship with, with people as well. Um, but, uh, Aparna, this was, you know, great to have you on the show. Actually, be, you know, one more question, if it's okay. Um, I'd love to kind of squeeze in here, um, that we didn't really go over. Um, a lot of our listeners that are HR managers, that are um, trying to get leadership buy-in. We touched upon it at the beginning, but what would you say as like some advice to the chief human resource officer or HR manager or wellness manager of the wellness program? They know they need to get leadership buy-in. They need to get someone in the C-suite or a couple of people to really help them champion it so it's not just the HR initiative. What are some, what are some tips for the, to, to help to do that? Or, or to get started sure. doing that? So a lot of times, again, it's about awareness. So th- times, you know, leadership may not be aware of what well-being is and what it can do for a population and what it entails. So, it, it, you know, if, if I'm a leader, I'd want to have that business case. Um, so making sure you have a business case prepared, but also coming up with a stakeholder analysis, coming up with a list of leaders that you need to gain buy-in and kind of qualifying them and, and figuring out what are their personalities, what are their priorities, and then translating the business case that will fit more of what they understand would be really helpful. Um, just pushing information and pushing uh, studies in one direction may not help. So really just analyzing what these leaders are about and making sure that you're uh, aligning the well-being to the organizational objectives um, is really important too. That's great. That's great and powerful. Now, that I think that's going to add a lot of lot of value. That perspective and you know the stakeholder analysis is probably something that 
you know, I think a lot, you know, will we'll benefit from doing. Um, a partner, this was great. I know we probably might, might have gone a little bit over, but um, number one, I appreciate your time. Two, um, you, you touched upon some important topics and, and have given us, I think, some really great tips and things to reflect on when looking at population health, specifically, obviously, on the employee wellness side. Um, Aparna, um, what's a good way for our listeners to get a hold of you, um, or interact with you online, uh, if, if you would like? Sure. I, I, it's been such a pleasure being on this and thank you so much. I would love to hear from your listeners. Uh, you could definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm assuming Anthony will provide the spelling of my name. Um, and, uh, and then also I work at Aon Hewitt. So aparna.narula at aonhewitt.com. It would be such a pleasure hearing from any of you. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your background being on the show and, um, all right. So everyone, thank you so much uh, for listening. This was, uh, the pop health show episode eight or nine, one of those. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone. Okay.